My name is Adam. If you're a guest this morning, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just excited you have chosen to worship with us this morning. Last week, we left off um, in Revelation with this Lord of the Ring type chapter. It's full of all of this interesting creatures and beasts. Um, this week, chapter 10, there's a pause. There's a pause between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, bringing all this judgment that we've been reading about to a ceasing halt. We have seen that there's horrific chaos all around the church, but because the church is sealed by God, then we, the church, we don't have to live in fear and hide from the world, but rather, we're going to see another chapter focus on how we shall boldly live out our faith in this dangerous world. The focus of chapter 10 revolves around this mighty angel. The mighty angel has a little scroll in his hand, and there's a recommissioning for John here. He's commissioned to prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So that's where we are this morning. So let's turn our attention to chapter 10 of Revelation as we look at this bittersweet scroll. Chapter 10, verse 1 says this, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what's in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. And there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he had announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, how it is uh, bittersweet. And Lord, I pray today that we, would, um, that we would take in your word, Lord, that it would change us, that we would leave this place differently. So Lord, give us ears to hear from you, eyes to see how you're at work in our lives. And I pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so if you've been coming, you've been walking through Revelation with us, this is a vastly different type of chapter than what we've seen. Um, the last several weeks, um, we've seen all this devastation, horrific judgment, 
Um, but here in chapter 10, we see all that put on pause for a moment. So let's walk through this passage together. So verse 1, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice, like a roaring lion. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. All right, so back in chapter 5, we saw another mighty angel. Well, it was actually just called a mighty angel. This is why John is now saying another mighty angel, because he saw a mighty angel back in chapter 5. That angel was proclaiming a message. That message was a concerning message. It was a message where that angel saw the scroll sealed with seven seals in the hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And his concern was, who is worthy to open that scroll? And you remember there's this pause and no one was worthy. John began to weep. Well, a few verses later, we see Jesus stepping up, taking that scroll from the Father's hand, showing that he is worthy to take the scroll and to open up the seals. Well, here in verse 1, John says he sees another mighty angel, and this angel also has a scroll. Now, there's differing opinions on this scroll. Some think this is the same scroll that Jesus had in his hand in chapter 5. Others think that this is a completely different scroll. Because, you know, who's worthy to have the scroll? Jesus takes it, so why in the world would this angel now be worthy? So, there's some differing views, but, and and because of just the information we have, or the lack thereof, it, it is hard to speak with certainty, but my guess is that this scroll, because it has more judgments coming through these seven thunders, then I believe it's the same scroll from chapter 5. So, at some point, it seems that Jesus gave the scroll to this angel, and then, as we see at the end of this chapter, that the angel is now going to give it to John. So, it seemed like Jesus was the one who was only worthy to take it from the Father's hand, but then, once he took it, he could pass it on to this angel, and the angel, as we see, he passes on to John, then John, what does he do with it? He eats the thing. So, I think it's the same scroll from chapter 5, that's my opinion. There's room to disagree, that's okay. Um... We see that this scroll is described as a little scroll. But I wonder, was it really a little scroll? Or was it a normal-sized scroll, but because this is a mighty angel, that the scroll appears to be a little scroll? It's kind of like the opposite of the movie Elf, you know, the greatest Christmas movie ever um, written. So, you know, that movie, Buddy the Elf, he looks huge when he's working with the other elves. But then we find out that he's just a normal-sized human being and not a gigantic elf. So I, I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, the size of this, it just says it's a little scroll. Um, but um, we also see here that there's some differing views on, well, since some think that this is the same scroll from chapter 5, then maybe this angel is actually another way of talking about Jesus, that the angel is actually Jesus. Look at the language. It's coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud. Face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. Verse 3, we see that he's, he's, he's like a roaring lion with the entire world underneath his feet. 
I mean, those are the same attributes that we would ascribe to Jesus, right? So you could see why some would believe this is actually Jesus. But I think it's better to see this angel as an angel who is a representation of the glory of Christ and not actually Christ himself. And then once again, we see Old Testament language playing a huge role in this passage. We see the angels wrapped in a cloud. Then there's a reference to a rainbow. Both of these are Old Testament references. Uh, Wrapped in a cloud is a phrase that we would once again tie this Revelation story once again back to the Exodus story. If you remember that, when the Israelites left Egypt and were heading to the promised land, God gave them this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night um, that they would follow. Um, It it was a reminder to them of God's presence, that God was with them 24-7. And also in verse 1, we see that this angel's face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. These could also be a reference to the pillar of fire by night. So this angel is wrapped in a cloud with face like the sun, legs like pillars of fire. Then he has a rainbow over his head. The rainbow points us back to the days of Noah. Noah and his family were found safe inside the ark. They were protected. They were guarded. God destroyed the rest of mankind. All that was outside the ark was destroyed. And he gave a rainbow as a covenant with man saying that when you see the rainbow, you can be sure that God will never, ever, ever again wipe out humanity with a flood. Now, in our culture today, the majority of people see uh, a rainbow, and they think LGBTQ pride. Um, With June, you know, it's called Pride Month for many. My prayer is that every time the rainbow is shown, that God would be able to penetrate the hearts of all of us and remind us all that our identity should not be found in our sexual orientation, but rather our identity should be rooted in a God who can keep his promises. One of those promises that he makes is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a promise. That is a promise for you, for me, for LGBT. TQ plus, the rainbow is for LGBTQ plus because the gospel is for all of us, that we have all sinned, that we, have, we all have sinned to repent of and place our trust in Christ. So both references show us what God did for Noah and what God did for the Israelites by saving them from the, from, from the judging of their enemies. Then both They were brought into new land. Never thought of that. Think of Noah. Noah coming off the ark onto a new land is a picture of us coming into the promised land and to the new heavens and the new earth. And then make note here in this section how this angel had his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. This angel is basically straddling the entire earth. In the Bible, putting your foot on something means you have authority over what is under your foot. For example, Psalm 8, verse 6 says this. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Here is an angel who's been given authority to represent Christ. He's coming down from heaven. He's wrapped in a cloud, rainbow over his head. Face was like the sun. 
legs like pillars of fire, straddling planet Earth. This is an impressive description of this mighty angel. We would see this and flip out, much like John has when he's seen angels. He'd fall down and begin to worship. They'd say, no, 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 don't worship me. Worship him who's on the throne. And if this is how impressive this angel is, how much more impressive is Jesus Christ himself? I mean, if this is what the angel, this is just a representation of Christ's glory, think about Christ himself. If you need any encouragement this morning about the power of God, how he's at work, what he can do, think about this passage. Multiply his greatness, his size, his power, his might, his authority by infinity. That is your Jesus. Verse 4, we see his authority on display yet again. In verse 4, John writes this. And when the seven thunders had sounded... I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. I love this phrase. It's so unique and interesting here. So it seems like these things happened. The thunders had spoken. John saw it just as he saw, you know, the trumpets and the bowls. And so he sees what was about to come, was going to write it down for us. And this voice says, don't write that down. So we don't know what it says. So over the past few chapters, we've seen seven seals devastate the earth. We've seen seven, six of the seven trumpets bring judgment. Now these seven thunders are ready to bring forth their judgment. They've already sounded. They are ready to act. John is ready to write. But then something amazing happens here. John he hears this voice and he's told, sell up what the seven thunders have said. Do not write it down. And here we see God's incredible kindness and authority. It seems like these seven thunders would have just unleashed this, you know, another horrific series of judgments upon the earth. You know, we can, all we can do is speculate. We don't know because we don't know what it says. And so it's like these thunders were ready. John's writing, but God says, no. These thunders will not have their day. And I love, I absolutely love how creation obeys God's voice. That, that the thunders were ready to wreak havoc. God says, no. They go, okay, we won't do it. It, this reminds me of when the disciples are out on the boat with Jesus, and Jesus is asleep, which always, I, I love reading those passages where, you know, disciples get so frustrated with Jesus, and they're freaking out that they're all going to die, and, and then you look at G Jesus just chilling asleep. He's just out. Um, so, you know, they wake him up, and, and then Jesus rebukes the disciples, and then he rebukes the wind. He basically just looks at the wind and says, Shh. And it listens. It's amazing. The storm becomes quiet. It obeys. You know, think of chapter 10 and the thunders are ready. And God says, nope, not yet. Marvel at your God this morning. Be amazed at what he can do and what he has done. 
Here in Revelation 10, these seven thunders are ready. And he speaks, and they are stilled like the storm. As bad as all these judgments could have been, we need to remember they could have been much worse. Much worse, but the Lord quieted these thunders. So we don't know what these words would have been. In fact, these are the only words in Revelation that are sealed up. Revelation 22, verse 10, we see something um, just of the opposite manner. Um, Revelation 22, 10 says, don't seal the prophetic words of this book because the time is, is near. But here, this one time, John is commanded not to write what the thunders said. These words are hidden from us, which I take to mean that we didn't need to know these words. If we needed to know these words, then the Lord wouldn't have left them out for us. Uh, I believe the Bible has everything that we need from God. Has, has everything that we need um, in order to, to become a Christian, to live as a Christian, to grow as a Christian. Everything that we need to know in order to become a Christian, live as a Christian, grow as a Christian. God has been so extremely kind to give us those words. But there are some things that we might not ever know the answer to, like this. I don't know when we get to heaven, we say, hey, God, what were those thunders going to be like? Could you please tell us? He may say no. So the theological phrase or, or language um, where God gives us his word, it's called special or specific revelation. This is the belief that says that we can only know so much about God without his word. I don't know if you ever just meditated on that. Like think about a world without the Bible. That you didn't have his spoken word. What could you know about God? Well, there are some things you could know about God. That's what's called general revelation. God has generally revealed himself to the world through creation. So you can look out the world and Know that God is creative, he is powerful, but you wouldn't know anything about him. You know, if we only had creation and not his word, we would never know that we're sinners. Creation doesn't tell you that. We wouldn't know how to please or satisfy this God, whoever he or she or it may be. It would be confusing. It would be stressful. We'd walk around in fear all the time. But we have a God who speaks. He didn't just create the world and then just step back from it. He created the world and stepped into it. He gave us his word. That's what's called special revelation. That he specifically or in a very special way revealed himself to us. He's been so kind that he's revealed himself in the flesh. Give us his perfect word so that we can know how to become a Christian, live as a Christian, and grow as a Christian. That's what the Bible is going to do for us. Now, is it going to give you every answer that you ever want to know about life? No. Um, but it gives you everything that you need to know to become a Christian, grow as a Christian, live as a Christian. It gives us everything that we need, maybe not everything we want. So we don't know what the thunders said. And now in verse 5, the attention shifts from the thunder back to this mighty angel. Look at verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and 
what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there will be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. The thunders were about to speak, and it seems like great wrath was coming with them, but the full number of saints had not been gathered yet. So the Lord hit the pause button on that judgment. But now the time for delay is done. We see in verse 6 that there are no more delays, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. There are no more events that need to happen before the final judgment comes. We've already had the cross, the resurrection, his ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There are no more events to stop Christ from returning today. This could be the last time we gather together as this body of Christ. That'd be pretty amazing to think about. We might not gather next Sunday. I'm okay with that. That'd be a pretty amazing day. Christ is gathering his people from all nations, tribes, tongues, and then it will be time for the great wedding feast. Maybe that happens this week. I don't know. John writes that the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. What this means is God has been warning his people for centuries, for thousands of years. He's been warning All the way back to his prophets, God has been warning his people about the coming judgment. We should not be shocked or surprised by this judgment. The reference to the prophets probably refers to both Old and New Testament prophets. So God's plan for all of creation, um, from everyone, from, from Moses to Malachi, from Matthew to even John's revelation here, I think would be in view. Paul describes this in Ephesians 1, verse 9, like this. Making known to us, the church, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. God has willed from eternity past the complete and final defeat of evil. It's done. That day is coming, and you can trust God to complete his work. So this mystery has been made plain for us. Not only was the mystery made plain to John, God's purpose for John was also made plain in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open." In the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told... You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. These are four 
really important verses for us. Um, these, they do many things. One, it shows us John's credibility. Um, this strange command here to eat of this scroll is without a doubt a reference back to the prophet Ezekiel. You cannot read the Old Testament and read the book of Ezekiel and then read Revelation and not connect the two. It's meant for us to connect John with Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8, through verse 7 of chapter 3, God says these words to this prophet. So we're going to jump back to Old Testament, to Ezekiel. So this is from the Old Testament. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. So this is God speaking to Ezekiel. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house, referring to Israel. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me. And it had writing on it, on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man... Eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with and, and speak. And speak with my words to them, for you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart okay so if you were reading Ezekiel and then you began to read Revelation you would make that connection right there's no way like those are just too similar to think they're just by chance God is doing something here so I, I think Revelation's trying to get the reader to connect these two passages I think partly it's showing us that John is another Ezekiel, that John is a, is a true prophet of God, that you can trust what John is giving us. Ezekiel sees a hand holding out a scroll. John has an angel holding in his hand a scroll, or John sees an angel holding in his hand a scroll. God commands Ezekiel to take and eat the words. God commands John to take and eat the scroll. Ezekiel eats the scroll, and it tastes like honey. John is told that the scroll will taste like honey in his mouth. So there's many similarities between these two passages. They're connecting. But did you see the difference? Did you pick up on what is different about them? There's one major thing. The major difference between these is Ezekiel was told to speak, to take and eat, then to speak to the house of Israel, but he was not sent to the people of foreign speech, of a hard language, but only to the house of Israel. But John was told, you must again prophesy 
about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is because the mystery has been made known. That Christ came and Christ was coming to to bring the Gentiles in to the people of God. This is a missional passage. Revelation 10 is showing us that this is no longer a Jewish thing, but rather this is a global rescue mission from God. So there's a commissioning going on here. Verses 8 through 11 are by far the most applicable and practical verses in this entire chapter. The little scroll of verse 2 becomes the focal point in this last section. There's a picture here of how profitable the little scroll is for John, but how it only profits him if he does something with it. It was no good just to look at it or to hold it. He must take and eat. It's of no help if he just holds on to it. And just think about, you know, for us this morning, how many of us have the word of God in our hands, but we just hold it? You know, it might be in your car from week to week, and you just bring it in the church. It may just sit at your house, you know, on maybe the, on your desk by, by your bed or some shelf in your house. Maybe we just hold on to it. But do we take and eat? I think this is a great description of the Bible here. This is a book that is so sweet. I mean, it's the number one book ever sold. It has changed millions of lives. But our flesh finds this book ever so bitter. Our flesh does not like it when we ingest God's word. Our flesh loves it when you keep the Bible on the shelf or in the car. The Bible, once digested, will change a man. You'll begin to hate the things that you used to love as a sinner. And you'll begin to love the things that you used to hate as a sinner. The words are so sweet in our mouth. His words are so powerful to our soul. When you're having a bad day at work or a challenging day parenting kids or when you feel all alone in your singleness, God's word still speaks to us today. His words refresh our soul. It's sweet. As John eats the scroll, he is told, you must again prophesy about many people's and nations, and languages, and kings. This is the major command in this chapter. And it's not just a command to John, but also to us. We must proclaim the gospel to the nations. Even if it's hostile, even if it's challenging and difficult, even if it, the result is death, or the result is all rejections, we faithfully proclaim Christ and Him crucified. And then we then we just leave the results up to God. John is reminding us again and again that Christ's salvation and our mission extends across the globe. It's not meant just to be kept to ourselves. If you notice the phrasing of, of our commission, is, it's a bit different from, from what John has used previously. Here in this 
this very unique one, he, he substitutes um, tribes for kings. He normally uses the word tribes, but here in chapter 10, he says kings. This is, I think, of just a reminder to us that the gospel crosses all classes of people. It's for poor, for the rich. Even royalty needs to hear the gospel. So in a sense, chapter 10 is a, it's a commissioning service this morning for us. I mean, think about it. The idea behind the eating of the scroll is that the prophet John is taking the message, ingesting it, digesting it, and then he's taking it out to the world. So here's the application for us this morning. What you have received from God, you must now tell others. That's how it works. That's why you're here this morning. Someone's told you at some point, whether it's maybe a mom or dad, when you were a little kid, led you to Christ, faithfully reading the Bible to you, praying with you as a little child. You knelt by your bed as a little child and prayed, prayed a prayer of repentance, trusting in Christ. Or maybe somebody on a college campus knocked on your dorm, invited you to some ministry, or shared the gospel with you. You're here today because someone took in what God had said, it changed their lives, and now they wanted to see it change yours. That's why I'm here. I had a cousin who loved me enough to uh, share the gospel with me. That's what this is about. Look how this message has changed hands. The scroll, where did it start first? It started on the throne with the Father. Then Jesus took the message from the Father. At some point, in my opinion, he gave it to this angel and then now we see this angel, John is told to take it from the angel and then to prophesy to the nations. You take, you ingest, you digest, you pass it along. You give it to someone else. John obeyed. He ate the scroll. He prophesied. And now the message comes to you. What are you going to do with it? Set on your hands? Let someone else... Enjoy it. Notice that John does not just chew on it. He doesn't just hold it in his mouth. He's not told to just suck on it like a lollipop. You know, it, when it's in his mouth, it's honey. He could have just held it there. But he's told to eat it, to swallow it. The swallowing is what brings the bitterness. So many people today just want the sweetness of the word. But the sweetness of the word is not the full counsel of God. There are many passages filled with God's sweetness. But then there are many passages filled with bitterness. You read it. Listen, I, I've been walking with the Lord now for 22 years. There's some passages when I read it, especially going through Revelation, I read it, and there's a moment where I read it, and I go, that's really hard, God. That's hard to swallow. I don't like this. But at the end of the day, it's not my choice. I didn't write it. It's not my book. He wrote it, and it is hard to swallow. But it's God's word. It's faithful. It's true. We need to taste and eat the full counsel of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ involved both good news and bad news. 
There is bad news. The bad news is that there's a lost world. Mankind is not born naturally good. Andrew and Izzy just want to warn you, okay? That baby will disobey you, and you will be broken when they lie to you. Mankind is not born good or neutral. We are born sinners. Because of that sin, we deserve the wrath of God, divine judgment. But, I'm glad that's not the end of the book. There's a but there, but there's also good news that we have this righteous redeemer, Jesus Christ, who paid the complete penalty, not not part, not partly paid, completely paid the penalty of our sins and saves us when we repent of those sins and simply put our trust in him. That's good news. And we get to share that good news with others. I've been convicted um, last few weeks. Sometimes I just, so, I just stay so busy with like checklists that I forget to be in the moment. And um, the Lord has given me a great platform in Huntington with, um, with my kids playing um, baseball. I've been able to meet so many amazing people um, in this community that, that and many of them don't know the Lord. And I have this unique season, you know, two, three months of just being with them. And man, this season I've got to, it's been really, it's been amazing. I've got to, to pray with people that I would have never thought I'd get to pray with. But I've been convicted of like doing more than just praying, just inviting them to, to trust in Christ. And I think, man, we're getting near the end of baseball season, softball season, and I may not see some of them again until next baseball season. And I don't want to waste those moments because there's no promise that they're going to be there next season. And we have to live with this sense of urgency. Not, not, not that God's trying to guilt you into sharing your faith, but just realizing that life is fragile, that, that people need to hear the gospel. Just as John was commissioned here in chapter 10, this morning is a commissioning service for us. A political ambassador is someone who represents their country's beliefs and policies while living in a different country. If you are a Christian, you are in an ambassador. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, says this. Therefore, we, those of us Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are an ambassador for Christ in this age. If you are in Christ, this is not your home. You are a foreigner. You're representing the beliefs and policies of your king. Your king wants you to tell others about his kindness. How he, he hit pause for a moment on his judgment. But now there's no more delay. His wrath is coming upon those who have not been sealed. Will you be a faithful ambassador this week? 
Will you be faithful to his commissioning and tell others about what Christ has done for them? Will you take and eat the full counsel of God? As the band comes back up, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the sweetness of your word. And as we've been reading through Revelation, the bitterness. That there is wrath coming. And Lord, we just want to stop and just say thank you for saving us. We say thank you to you, Lord Jesus, that you took the wrath upon yourself so that we could have life. That we wouldn't experience uh, eternal death and damnation. Lord, we ask now that you would empower us, that you would embolden us to go and share this good news, which contains bitterness, that we would share that with others. So, Lord, give us that boldness. Give us that reminder to get up and take and eat, not just do a little cute little devotional, but read the full counsel of God, that we need every word. Lord, may we pass it on to someone else. May we give you the praise and the glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.